All right, saints, if you would open your Bibles to the New Testament epistle of 1 Peter, chapter 4. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to simply look at verse 1. And so as we go through this, we covered the chapter in its entirety on Wednesday. But what we're going to do is going to simply look at one aspect of the, um, the, the chapter this morning. So if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. We want to make sure that you get one. If you do not have a Bible, just keep this as our gift to you that God can continue to speak to you um, through his word. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us, in the flesh. Arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. I was debating on what to title this message this morning, and I wanted to call it for about four days now, Cease from Sin, Cease from Sin. And yet, God just said, that's not the thing. The, the whole key is arm yourselves. Arm yourselves. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard or seen, you know, depictions of the Revolutionary War. And a lot of times you'll hear this say, statement, two arms, two arms. And you think, what, did I grow a third? You know, of course, two arms, right? No, but that's not two arms. It's to arms, arm yourself, not, not just slap on another arm, but, but literally prepare for a battle. And I think what happens is this, where when, when Peter makes this statement in chapter 4, verse 1, therefore, and when you see that term, therefore, of course, you have to ask, what's it there for? And what it means, therefore, because of something that was said ahead of time, once you grasp that thing that was declared ahead, therefore, now we go on to the subject. So in, in 1 Peter 3, verse 18, he makes this statement as far as Christ's suffering. Therefore, since Christ suffered. What does it mean, Christ's suffering? Well, the, the context is going to be found in 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins. So this is his suffering. He suffered once for sins. All the sins for all mankind. At one time, he suffered once for sin. Not, not multiple, not he's still suffering, but he did suffer once. There upon the cross, he suffered once for sins. The just for the unjust. Him for us. And he suffered now for us, but he suffered once for sins that he might bring us to God. And then it says here how he suffered being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So this is the key of his suffering. His suffering was he was put to death in the flesh. And when the flesh was dead, the spirit now was empowered in even a greater way to live. The spirit life now becomes dominant, and it becomes the only life that he lives. He lives in the spirit. So understand that when we come back here to chapter 4, we drop down a little bit. Therefore, because chapter 318, Christ was put to death in the flesh, and he's made alive in the spirit. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us, since Christ was put to death in the flesh, 
he says this, arm yourselves also with the same mind. So it talks about us arming ourselves with the same mind. In other words, arming ourselves with putting to death the flesh. And when you arm yourself with that same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh, he who has put the flesh to death, has ceased from sin. And so basically, it's simply a very profound statement that is made. The Bible in basic English actually translates this passage in this way. So that Jesus was put to death in the flesh. Do you yourselves be of the same mind for the death of the flesh puts an end to sin? And I think that's a really good way of putting it. When, when our flesh, the things that we want, when we crucify it, when we put it to death, then the sin no longer continues to dominate. And I think that when we begin to look at this area, it talks about here, and of course, like I said, I've wanted for days now to, translate or to, to title this message, Cease from Sin, but the real key is arming yourselves. And so we see here that since Christ suffered, he suffered once for sin. He was put to death in the flesh. He was made alive in the spirit. So that as Jesus was put to death in the flesh, we need to be of that same mind. And that's why he says, arm yourselves also with the same mind. You have to have that mind that Christ had, which was what? Well, as, as Peter is putting it, one aspect of his mind, putting the flesh to death. The death dies so the spirit can thrive. And I think this is what happens. When we arm ourselves, and this term that Peter uses is unique. It's almost a military term. And that's why we say, two arms, two arms, prepare yourself. Get, get ready for a conflict. Get ready for a battle. And this is what Peter is saying, arm yourselves with the same mind. And so what we're going to look at this morning is what is the mind of Christ towards the battle that we face with the flesh and the spirit. And the beautiful thing is what? It's in the scripture. All we have to do is look. And so we're going to see just a couple of things. And I think the main thing that we have to determine is... One, know there's a battle. And sometimes we just get up in the morning and we kind of forget that there's a battle. We forget, oh my goodness, there is a battle that is going to war today my flesh against my spirit. And the thing that's going to make my spirit strong is feeding my spirit. If I don't feed my spirit, understand that my flesh is going to be fed through the world, through its own desires, and through the enemy. Everything's going to want to feed my flesh. But I need to make sure that I'm trying to feed my spirit. So we have to know that there is a battle. Now, when we take a look at the battles and the things that we face, one of the things that come to mind, at least to me, is when you have a man that's after God's own heart. Now, God has already said, there's a man who's after my own heart, King David. King David was a man after God's own heart. And, and you take a look at this man who's after God's own heart, and you think about the most devastating you know, area of his life. 
where he literally had an affair with a married woman, and then he went about and he orchestrated that woman's husband's death, and in bringing that man to death, there were other innocent Israelites that died at the same time. And you wonder, how does a man who's after God's own heart, the sweet shepherd of Israel, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the one who, who guided his, his, the Lord's flock, his people, the one who would look as a shepherd beginning to guide, look at the wilderness, look at the stars, look at the, the Lord is my shepherd, see the heavens declare the glory of God. How does he get from that to getting to the point where he can have an affair? How does he get to the point of that where he wants to murder then the, the husband of Bathsheba just so he can keep the secret of, of the, the infidelity, the baby that's within Bathsheba being his, David's, and hers? And it's interesting that the, the passage that opens up the infidelity of David and then leads on to the death of Uriah the Hittite, as you guys know, it's actually found in 1 Samuel chapter 11. I don't want to go into all the details, but the interesting and I think the necessary thing to realize that in that passage in 1 Samuel chapter 11, it simply declares one statement. I want to read it to you simply because it's, it's just really key to everything that unfolds. It begins this in first or 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse 1, and it happened... In the spring of the year, so it's the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle. All right, so if it's the spring of the year, and it's a time where kings go out to battle, where should David be? He should be at the battle. But David here is going to take a break from the battle. He's going to say, you know what, I'm done battling for a while. I'm going to just take a break today. I'm going to take a break for a moment. And so it's this time when kings go out to battle that now David sent Joab and his servants with him. So David sends Joab. He sends his servants with Joab and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. If this verse 1 was different, if this verse 1 was, it was the, the, the time of spring of the year, happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle, that David was there with Joab and the people and all Israel, and that they were destroying the people of Ammon, and they besieged Ramah, David was not at Jerusalem. He was doing the battle then nothing else would have followed. And I think what happens is sometimes we sort of forget that there is a battle, that there's a battle between our flesh and, and our spirit. There's a battle that wages. And you know what happens when our flesh wins, we call it what? Sin. When our spirit wins, we call it sweet victory. <laughs> Sweet victory because our flesh loses. And I think this is what happens. So when, when you arm yourself with, with the killing of the flesh, the flesh dying, we cease from sin. It no longer has power to dominate us. But you have to understand, you have to grasp that we are in a battle. 
There's a passage I want you to be aware of, and in fact, you actually can turn there in the New Testament, the book of Romans chapter 6. And in Romans chapter 6, the, the, the key that I want to share with you is that, one, there, there really is a battle that goes on. Now, initially, what I want to share with you is how this battle is, is, is our flesh, this battle is our sin nature, but it begins in this, in Romans chapter 6, verse 21 and 22. I'm going to read those two, and I'm going to jump to, to chapter 7, verse 22 and 23. But let's look at chapter 6 for just a moment here of Romans chapter 6. For what fruit did you have then in the things which you are not now ashamed? That's a really good question. Isn't that a question that sometimes we ask ourselves? What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Do you remember before you became a Christian? Do you remember before you came into the sanctuary? <laughs> when, when, you, when you weren't allowing the flesh to dominate, and, 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 and every so often when the flesh dominates, what happens? Oh, man, you're frustrated and you're ashamed and you wish, why does this part of my flesh, why does it dominate me so completely? Why and how do I get to this point where I can cease from sin? How do I stop this from happening? And I think so important that sometimes it's necessary to look back at those things and, and be ashamed when they dominate. And I think it's important that when we, as Christians, when we come to God at the end of the day, and when we thank him for everything that he's done, I don't know how many times that you, when you're confessing sin, go as a generic term versus a specific term. Now, what a generic term is this, God, forgive me of my sins. And then you go on and say, oh, and you're so good. And you just, you, you've said it generically. You said what you need to say. God, forgive me my sins, and you move on. Now, here's the key. When you actually look to those things that you were ashamed of, when you say, God, forgive me for, wow, being short with that person, having that temper, having that animosity, forgive me for, for just thinking wrong about a person, and I don't even know their lies. I'm judging them, and I don't even know what, what, what they've been walking through or what they're doing, what, what's happened in their life and why they are at that point. And I think it's important that sometimes when we confess sin, don't be generic. When you confess your sin, don't just say, Father, forgive me my sin, but Father, forgive me for and be specific. For, for this thing that I did or that thing or, or, or you know, when, when, when I, I was driving through and I was looking at the billboard and my mind began to wander and it should have wandered when I was angry, when I was bitter, when I was judging people and I didn't even know really what their story is, what their life is going on. And this is why I think it's so important in, in Romans 6, verse 21. What fruit did you have then in the things which you are now ashamed? Say, oh, Father, I'm so sorry for that. Why is it taking hold of me? Why did I do that? And, and, and you know what? And then you just confess, Father, forgive me. And I want to turn from that. I want to repent. 
But I think it's so important that what fruit did you have, specifically what was going on then in the things which you are now ashamed for the end of those things is death. And I realize, God, if I continue in that path, that's sin, that's death. That's not what you saved me for so I could continue to enter into that path. You saved me so I can change direction. So I can begin to follow you and glorify you. And then he says this in verse 22. But now having been set free from sin, and you can say it, hallelujah, that's okay. Now being set free from sin and having become slaves of God, no, I'm no longer in bondage to the sin, but I'm committing myself being a slave to God. You have your fruit to holiness. And in the end, everlasting life. See, this is glorious. See, no longer am I just giving myself to, to, to really saying I can just live my life or do this. I realize there's a battle and I'm looking to God and I'm looking, I'm always, always looking to God. Some of the very, very best dog trainers. What happens is this, they teach their, 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 their dogs to always, always have their eye on them. So there was this dog trainer. He would simply just make a hand signal, and the dog, no matter when, what, he'd make that hand, the dog would listen. The dog was trained, always keep your eyes on your master so when he begins to, to want something, when he needs something, I'm already there, already looking. Now, if the dog is off wandering away and you get that hand, there's nothing you can do. And I think it's important, keep our eyes on the Lord, be walking with him, knowing in the spirit, following after him, pray without ceasing. In other words, just make your life a communion with God. When you do that, when he has a direction, you're walking. When sin comes knocking at your door and say, I'm sorry, I'm already walking with dad. You, you, you go do your thing. I'm going to, whatever God wants, that's what I want. Don't, don't try to tempt my flesh here. So you have a choice to either continue to do those things you're ashamed of or following God. And when you follow God, then you have the fruit to holiness there in verse 22 of Romans 6 and the end everlasting life. But there's this catch. There's this battle. There, there's a war. And that's what happens in chapter 7. We, we, we know what we can do. We know that we have these sins. We know that we're doing it. But in chapter 7 of Romans, beginning in verse 22 and 23, it opens up. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. How many of us do that? When we're following God, I love his law. I love his heart. And I delight. I find joy in, in when God whispers, let's do this now. And it isn't a list of a of hundred do's and don'ts. That's not what my law is. It isn't the 540 some statutes and commandments. God says, let's walk over here. Then let's walk over here. Let's go talk to this person. Let's go talk to this person. Or he says, just kind of sit back and just spend some time with me. Then that's what I want to do. As the Spirit leads, that's my heart. And I think it's so important that I delight when God speaks to me his will. I find joy in it. And then it says this. Yes, I delight in the law of God according to the end but I see another law in my members. There's another truth that's going on. There's another thing that goes on. I delight in the law of God, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. My mind wants to follow the Lord, but, you know, the spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. 
The flesh isn't always able, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So as I'm wanting to follow God, all of my sudden my flesh creeps up and says, whoa, let's check this out. Oh, man. And then you pay attention to it. You don't just say, you're dead. You are dead. You're, 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 you're catargeo. You're inactive. You're, you're, you're rendered inactive. You're paralyzed. You can't control me, but yet we succumb to it. And understand that this is what the battle is. The battle is in my mind. I love, I want to worship God. I want to do his things. And then my flesh, something happens. I get cut off on the road or somebody says something that isn't kind or nice. And then my flesh reacts. It just reacts, and, and when it reacts, and it's like, what is going on here? And this is that other law that's in my member. It brings me into captivity. It's this law of sin which is in my members. So I see that within me, there's this battle warring against my spirit and the flesh. And when it battles, here's the key. There's a passage in Colossians 3, jot it down. If you want, you can turn there. You're only a couple of books away. But in Colossians 3, I want to start reading in verse 1, and I'm going to read to the first part of verse 5. So Colossians 3, verse 1, if then you were raised with Christ, we love that, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. In other words, the law of my mind, pursuing the things of God. I'm, 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 I'm raised with him, so as I'm, I've been raised with him to eternal life, I want to seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, and I'm going to set my mind on things above, not on the things of earth. Why? For I died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Where's my life? It's in Christ now. My life is in Christ. I'm in him. He's in me. That's what communion's all about. As, as I'm in him, God places and he says, okay, well, you are now in my son. You are now a part of everything that he's done, everything that he's doing. And so my life is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, I've been redeemed. Now, when Christ, who is my life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. I know that that is true. That as we are in him, when he comes, I'm with him. When he's before God, I'm before God. And then he says this, knowing that your life is hidden with God, knowing that you're setting your mind above, knowing that, that when he appears, he who is our very life appears, that we're going to appear with him in glory because of all that, look at what it says here in the first part of verse 5. Therefore, put to death your members which are on earth. If I'm up here, then I need to put to death the members which are on earth. And it goes on and just lists sin after sin after sin after sin. I need to put to death sin. I need to put to death my flesh. And so I have to determine what happens is I got to know there's a battle. I got to be not like David who when it's time to battle, just say, I'm going to just take a break today. Understand when you wake up tomorrow morning, there's going to be a battle. Prepare now to arms, arm yourselves. When you leave this church today, there's going to be a battle. Arm yourselves. Well, what's the first thing to do? Know there's a battle. Know that when you leave here, you're going to enter into a battle. Know that tomorrow you're going to enter into a battle. 
situation after situation after situation is going to be this, a battle of the flesh and the spirit. And you have to choose what you're going to do. Are you going to feed your spirit or are you going to allow your flesh to dominate? And you have to choose those things. Know there is a battle. The second thing is this. Not only do you have to know there's a battle, and Jesus taught us there is going to be a battle. That's when he taught us to pray. He said, what? You need to pray. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Don't let my flesh win. Don't let the world win. Don't let the enemy win. Remember, when the seed is sown, you are the, that, that wonderful sower of the seed. Don't let it fall on that hard ground where the birds, the enemy, Satan, comes and snatches it up and destroys it. Don't let it fall in a, in a very shallow heart where immediately it springs up, but because there's no root, it just withers away. And don't let it be choked out. That when the world comes and it offers all that glitters, don't let me be clinging to that and you. Let me just disregard that. Don't let the world choke me out. Let your seed fall on good ground that is committed to you. It's going to bear fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100. That's what I want, Lord. You told us there's going to be a battle. You told us there's going to be this battle against your word. I'm going to pray, Lord, make my heart supple so I can receive your word, your spirit. The second thing is this. To what degree are you going to battle? Now, I don't know if you're a football fan, but sometimes when your team is not playing the way they should. So if you, if you are anyone who follows the Packers, they've, they've done okay the last couple of games, but their first game... They played like Lazarus. They stunketh. And so they got their clocks cleaned, apparently. And, and, and I, they, they did, right? Bad? Bad. Okay, so it was bad. I knew it was bad. I, I just didn't know how bad, but I know it was bad. And, and you think, play harder. Do something. You know, you're, you're, you're against a football team. You're, you're against professionals. They get paid millions of dollars, too, to do this. So, so put in some effort. But when you battle, I think sometimes what we do is this, we don't put a lot of effort into it. We're, we're, we're sort of like, okay, well, here, here's the battle. I'll, I'll take and I'll, I'll read a verse and I'll say, okay, dear God, thank you for this morning. And then I'm done. Now, now I don't know about you, but if you went through life and, and when, when, when breakfast came, if you ate one Cheerio, I'm going to eat my Cheerio. Oh, I ate a Cheerio. It's not going to do a whole lot. You want a bowl of Cheerios. You, you, want, you want some sustenance. You want a little bit more. You, you, you've got to have more. And I think sometimes, what kind of effort are you putting into this battle? I think a lot of times we don't put in a whole lot of effort when it comes to the kind of battle that we're doing. Two things. Jot them down. Hebrews chapter 4. Two verses that are key Jot them down. If you're a note taker, if you're not a note taker, please find a way to memorize the messages that I'm giving you so that you have these things locked in. But it says this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. Now I'm going to read to you verse 12, but here's verse 2. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. 
Do you understand that there's going to be some people who are going to hear this message and they're going to leave this church and they're going to wake up Monday morning and the battle is going to come and they're going to fall and they are going to be defeated. They are not going to be able to cease from sin. And it's because they do not mix the words which they hear with faith. Saying, I know these words are you, your spirit, speaking to me to give me power to overcome whatever it is that is going to be coming down my life. Do you realize that God is giving you this word today so when the battle comes tomorrow that you no longer have to become a victim to your flesh, that you can cease from sin, that you can no longer have to live in that practice lifestyle. And this is what God is trying to do. The word which you hear doesn't profit you because you do not mix it with faith. And so in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says what? This word that you mix with faith, it is living. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the vision of the soul and the spirit, of the joints and the marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. This word is living, and it is powerful. And it can transform you today so that when you leave here, you will not continue in sin. Tomorrow you will not continue in sin, that you will have a life of victory. Does it mean that you won't sin? No, but you won't continue in sin. That you're going to have this place of victory. And, and I think what happens is so often that, that we come to these areas and we really do not mix it with faith. It's like, oh, I heard the word. No, no, no. You heard power. You heard living power to enable you to overcome anything. That's what this word becomes. But then sometimes what happens is we get this word, and, and, and if, it, if it's not an exact word, do this, do this, we're sort of lackadaisical. I don't know if you're familiar with a passage there in 2 Kings chapter um, 11. Oh, I mean chapter 13. 2 Kings chapter 13 Beginning in verse 14, there is the, the, the king of Israel, the northern tribes, Joash. And he comes to Elisha. And it makes this statement in 2 Kings 13. I'm going to start reading in verses 14 through 19. And I want you to note the, the pattern of what begins to happen. Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. That begins 2 Kings 13, 14. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face, said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen. And Elijah said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took a bow and some arrows. So what was happening is this. Assyria, Syria was, was coming against the northern tribes. And he comes to, you know, um, Joash, the king of Israel, comes to Elisha and says, Oh, you know, help us, help us, help us. And so Elisha says to him in verse 15, take some arrows. So what does he do? He takes some arrows. It was easy enough, but it doesn't show the intensity of the heart. Understand that. Take an arrow. I took some arrows. And then he says this, take a bow and some arrows. He took a bow and some arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. Again, you see it. Elisha said, and Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. He said, open the east window. He opened it. And he said, shoot, and, and he shot. So everything that he says, do this, he did it. Do this, he did it. But he, he doesn't show any or he doesn't give him an ability to say, to what degree do you want this until this? 
And then he says in the middle of verse 17, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, the arrow of the deliverance from Syria, you must strike the Syrians at Aphak until you have destroyed them. Now notice what he's saying. You have to strike them. You have to put in some energy. You have to commit. You have to strike them. And he says this, not just strike them and you will destroy them. Notice what he says at the end of verse 17. You must strike Syria at Aphak till you have destroyed them. Do you understand? There's going to be multiple, multiple times this battle is going to engage. So if you're thinking when I'm going through this message and I said, okay, you're going to have your, your flesh is going to step up at, at, you know, when you leave the church and it's going to want to cause you to sin. And you're going to say, all right, well, I'll smack that flesh right on down. I got the message and then I'm done. <laughs> That's not a battle. You understand? You have to strike it until you destroy it. Strike your flesh until it's dead. Now, that may not be a picture that you want to see on Sunday morning, but, but you have to understand that Jesus committed his flesh to death. Do you understand that it wasn't just, oh, here I am, I'm going to close my eyes and die. He literally was, was beaten, and, and he was whipped, and he was placed upon a cross, and he was crucified, and he hung there, and eventually his flesh, through the pain, through the suffering, would die. But understand, it was for the joy that was set before him. We're going to come and see that, that yeah, we, we, we do sin, but one of the things that we recognize is there's a result from the end. We're going to be looking at that next. But I think it's important to see here that he does tell him, strike the Syrians at Aphak till you have destroyed them. And then he says, take the arrows. So he took them and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. Now the term is, is, is continue striking the ground. That's the, the, the intent of the, 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 the verb. So strike, keep striking the ground. So he struck three times, and then the scripture says this at the end of verse 18, and he stopped. One, two, three. I'm exhausted. I've struck the arrows on the ground three whole times. Can I stop now? You're just bored. There's no intensity. There's no real desire to have that. I want God to do the work. You come to the prophet. You come to God. Fix it, fix it, fix it. You do all the work. Let me just kick back in a lounge chair and let you do the work. He says, no, you take the arrows and you strike. You take this instrument that can cause death, the word of God, the sword of the spirit, strike the flesh until it dies. And what do we do? We strike it once, we strike it twice, we strike it a third time. <sighs> I'm exhausted now. I've just used the word of God three times to try to put down my flesh. And if God can't do it by now, and notice what it says. In verse 19 here, 2 Kings 13, the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. You're not going to destroy Syria. You're asking, fix it, fix it, destroy it, destroy it. Destroy the enemy that's coming against me. And understand that enemy that comes against me, 99% of the time is my flesh. It isn't the world. It isn't the devil. They don't have to bother because my flesh is already taken over. It's like, hey, I'm second string. I'm the third stringer, you know. The flesh is already is dominant. And what happens, we never strike the flesh more than a few times. Strike it until it dies. 
Do you understand the intensity that he's talking? And the man of God is angry with him. Then why do you just stop? Why do you think it's going to be easy? And understand, this is what war is. War isn't easy. Now, there's been a couple of battles that haven't been too difficult. But I'll tell you what, for the most part, war's not an easy thing. You strike again and you strike again and you strike again. And understand that where, where Scripture teaches, jot this passage down. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4, makes this statement. Hebrews 12, 4, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Do you understand? We're not really working too hard. Like, I want God to do the work, but do I really have to help him out? I'm not really striving to bloodshed. I'm not really wanting it done. I'm wanting God to do it. I want the easy way. God, just fix it, take it away. That's all I have to do. But yet there's an intensity that comes when we really are hating what sin is doing, when I'm hating what my flesh is, when I'm hating what my flesh is being pleasured by. And I think sometimes it's so necessary that, that look to what Jesus said when it comes to the battle and when it comes to the intensity of the warfare. It's actually found in the book of Matthew chapter 5. I want to read from you verses 29 and 30. Now again, it's going to be radical to some of you. But so is beating your flesh until it's dead. But understand, this is what Peter is saying. If you arm yourselves with that same mind that Jesus put to death the flesh, and it wasn't just five minutes. I mean, literally, you were talking about from the evening that he was taken from the garden till what? Till, till, till evening. And I think what happens is this, that as he's putting to death the flesh, this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perished and your whole body to be cast into hell. Do you understand how radical of a statement this is? Cut it off, cast it away. That's incredible. So understand, if something is causing you to sin, if something is, is saying, oh, this feeds your flesh, sometimes just get rid of it. Get rid of it. There was a movie that we actually, we, we actually did it one Friday night here at the church. It was called Fireproof. And in it, the main character struggled with a sin, and he was just caught up in all these images that were on his computer. And eventually, he gets to the point where he gives his heart to Christ, and what he does is this. There's a scene where he brings his computer out to the side of the garage, and he sets it on top of the garbage can. And then he gets a baseball bat, and he doesn't just leave it there where he can grab and put it back in down the road. He gets a, and he starts smashing, smashing his computer, smashing the monitor. And I think the neighbor comes out, and he's like, I don't know. But he, he, this is what he did. He said if something caused it, he just pluck it out, cast it from It's a radical thing. And understand that this is intensity. It is to be so, so wanting to have a victory that you're willing to just cast it from you. 
And now keep in mind that people have taken this passage and they've warped it in ways that they never should. There are people who, who lust and they say, I'm lusting with my eyes, I'm lusting with my eyes. And, and, and so this passage, take my eye and, and, and pluck it out. I know a man, visit him in the hospital. He was so frustrated, so frustrated with his sin of, of lust that he had in his eyes. Blinded himself, completely blinded himself where he would never see again. I visit him hostile, he says, I'm still lusting. Still lusting. It wasn't his eyes. Heart. Flesh. Rip it out. Cast it from you. Put to death the flesh with a little determination, with a little intensity. Jesus puts it this way in Luke 9, 23. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross daily. That which causes you to die gives life to something else. Pick up his cross daily and follow me. If you desire to follow him, just, just crucify yourself every day. Pick up your cross, that something that causes your flesh to die, and so you can follow him in the spirit. This is where it is. So understand that when you come to this area of this sin, he says, arm yourselves with the same mind. One is understand there's a battle. Jesus taught us there's this battle. He taught us about the sower and the seas. He taught us about when you pray, saying, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from the enemy. Do this. Help me, Lord. I know there's a battle. You be my strength. I've got to go with some a little intensity, not just, okay, use the word once, use the word twice, use the word three. Now I'm done. I'm exhausted. No, get this word and crucify your flesh. But then... Once it's crucified, this is the key, the results. The first thing is, know there's a battle. The second is your determination. The third is the result. What's the result of this battle? Well, the, the result of this battle, believe it or not, is joy. <laughs> Have you ever had victory over the sin? Just once. And you're like, oh, hallelujah, Lord, you gave me victory. There's a passage, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. I just want to read it to you. It says this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Do you understand that when Jesus looked to the cross, he looked past it? Let me say this once again. When Jesus looked to the cross... He looked past it to the joy that was set before him. You and me being in a right relationship with the Father, that was past the cross. So I know I have to go through the cross to get to the other side, and it was for the joy that was set before him. This is what he said. He endured the cross because he's looking beyond it. And I think that's what happens with you and me. When we're looking at, oh my goodness, I've got to crucify my flesh. I got to allow my flesh to die and it's not going to be a fun process. And let me quote that again or declare that again. Slaying your flesh is not going to be a fun process. Your flesh isn't going to say, yippee. Your spirit will, but your flesh will not. Your flesh is going to be whining and crying. You're killing me. Oh, you need this in your life. I haven't been with you so long. And why are you doing this to me? And oh, my goodness. 
And you won't believe how many ways your flesh will push your buttons. And just when you think, oh, I got this covered, he's going to do a roundabout and push another button. You didn't even know what happened. And you're going to go right in the same direction. But that's what your flesh is going to do. And so crucify that one. Destroy that button. Just, just rip it out. And I think it's important for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And now he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you understand? That's where we're going to be going. And this is the result. It's for the joy that is set before us. And the victory in this present time brings spiritual joy. The flesh is not going to get what it wants. It isn't. But the spirit is going to rejoice. And, and maybe you've experienced that in the times past, that while you're crucifying your flesh, your spirit is saying, yes, yes. Oh, I'm feeling so close to God right now because when I sin, I feel that shame. I feel that condemnation. And the enemy says, now that you've done this, God doesn't love you so much anymore. I mean, he did before you did this, but now, oh boy. And yet we know what? Well, he died before I was even born. He, he loved me. He doesn't love me in spite of my sin, he just loves me. He doesn't see my weakness. Oh, yeah, you got that, and you got that, uh, but I still love you. No, he doesn't even see that. He just says, I see you, and I love you. That's God. And I think it's important that, that, that when, we, when we want to go on and we want to say, what is the result of, of me seeking the Spirit? The Spirit through this word that becomes living and powerful, that I receive it by faith and not, not just simply, oh, it's words and maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. No, I'm believing it. Faith is being implied here. And so as I'm moving on, the flesh doesn't get what it wants, but my spirit is going to soar. <laughs> my spirit is going, yes, a victory, finally a victory over this stupid flesh that's supposed to be dead. And so I can take that and I can, I can move forward with it. Paul makes this amazing statement. I want to just read it to you, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Let me just read it to you. It makes this statement. Not that I have already attained, Paul says. Not that I've already attained. I haven't been there. I'm not already there. Not that I've already attained, he says, but I am already, or that I'm already perfected. But I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Yeah. You understand? I'm moving forward to this battle. I'm walking this battle. I'm doing what he called me. I'm moving forward. I'm going in a direction, and I'm, I'm pressing on. Daily, I press on. And I realize that when I wake up, I still haven't obtained. I'm still not perfected. But what am I going to do? I'm going to go into battle. And I'm going to use the word, and I'm going to use this living, powerful word. I'm going to use it with faith, and I'm going to, I'm going to apply some intensity with it, and I'm going to go ahead. And if something offends me in my flesh, I'm going to do what I can to rip it out and cast it from me. I'm going to want to battle it. I need to put my flesh to death. And so when it comes to this, we see here is, is yes, I understand that there is a battle. I understand that I have to use some determination. I understand the result is going to be joy. But what I have to do every single day is press on. I had this, this weird, you, you, can, you can jot it down if you want. I thought it was stupid at the end, so I, I just said, let's just go on with determination or the battle determination result and, and pressing on. But I was going to say, here's beep. 
Just you ever heard of beep beep? Beep is is there's a battle. B, um, the effort, and then the end result, and then pressing on. So beep. So if you want to write it down, you can write it down. So to me, it was kind of silly towards the end, but I don't know why I even put it back in it. So, but it's it's there. And here's the key. What Peter is telling us back in our text is this. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us, since he, as, as you know, 1 Peter 3, 18, being put to death in the flesh, as he put to death in the flesh, if you count that his suffering, since he put to death his flesh for us in the flesh, he died, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered, he who puts his flesh to death, it makes this statement, he who has suffered in the flesh, or he who puts his flesh to death, has ceased from sin. This is amazing. Now, what does it mean? Does it mean that I will never, ever sin again? Let me help you out. The term literally means you will cease from practiced sin. In other words, when you do something again and again, you're like, I just want to do this anymore. When, when you're very specific in how you pray, Father, forgive me of this, and you do it again, eventually you're going to get so tired of saying the same thing. Oh, you know, I, I did this the last two weeks. Please forgive me. You get just tired of it. and like, I just don't want to have to confess this sin again. God, give me the power over it. And you're just going to walk it. And then so, it doesn't, so you don't have to confess it that day. Is I'm tired of confessing the same sin over and over. And we look to God, and I think this is so important. He says, arm yourself with that same mind. He who has suffered in the flesh, who has put this flesh to death, we cease from sin. We cease from practice sin. What does it mean to cease from sin? Remember, as we go down a little further in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 2, it says, that he should no longer live the rest of his time. In other words, practicing, doing he should no longer live the rest of his flesh, the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. What are you going to practice? What are you going to live? This is what he's saying. You're going to cease from sin. And when you look to this whole ceasing from sin, remember what it said a couple verses beyond this in 1 Peter 4.4. 4. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dispensation or dissipation. So he's saying, they think it's strange you're no longer practicing these sins. They speak evil of you because you're no fun anymore. And so what happens is this, this practice sin is something that you lived and that you no longer live. And this is the key. Because the reality is what? And I'm going to be very clear and honest with you. We do sin. And sometime today, you may not want to hear this, I'm going to sin. I am. I'm going to sin. Sometime tomorrow, I'm going to sin. I, I am going to sin, but, but through, through the grace of God, I will overcome one. I'll overcome another. I'll overcome another. And when I do sin, I'll confess my sin. But we know we sin. And understand that, that when, when, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, remember there in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, he said what? Forgive us our sins. Now, why does he say, teach us to pray? Well, when you pray, ask God, forgive us our sins. If you haven't sinned, then you can't use this. So Jesus implies, listen, you're going to sin. And I think it's important to say when you forgive us of your sins, as we we made that note there in Romans chapter 6, verses 21 to 20, be specific. 
Forgive us and then name the sins that you want forgiven. There's a passage in 1 John. Let me share it with you. 1 John chapter 1. In fact, why don't you turn there because we're going to hang out here a little bit. Just go past Peter, 2 Peter, go to 1 John. And in 1 John chapter 1, I want to start reading in verse 8. I'm going to read to chapter 2, verse 1. But this is what John says about sin. So if you think or you run into somebody who says, I don't sin, I don't sin, then, then just share a couple passages here in 1 John or just walk away from them, one of the two. But it says this, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. It says, if we say that we have no sin, all right, here we go. We do what? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, verse 10, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I have written to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours only, but also for the whole world. So we see that Jesus is the one who puts us in a favorable position with the Father. Well, understand, we sin. I'm just trying to tell with you, you're going to sin. Be careful that you do not enter into practice sin. If you turn to the next chapter of 1 John chapter 2, I want to read, start reading in, in verse 28 down to verse 30. But he makes this statement, John chapter um, 2. Where am I at? I think I'm missing something here. Yeah, um, John chapter 2, beginning verse 28 and 30, and then I'm going to read into chapter 3. That's where I am. So um, John chapter 2, beginning verse 28, and now little children abide in him, that when he appears, we may have the confidence and not be ashamed before a man is coming. Again, don't be ashamed. Abide in him. Be, be doing his will. If you know that he is righteous... You know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Now, understand, this term practices is, is implied. Anyone who's righteous and anyone who practices righteousness, that practices is actually implied. And so it's, as it's implied in the righteousness, it'll also be implied in the sin. It's a practice sin. And so when we get into chapter 3, he says in verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the son, children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now that we are children of God, and it's not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, and we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him, note what he does. He purifies himself, put to death the flesh, just as he is pure. Now he says this in verse 4 of 1 John chapter 3. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin or practiced sin is lawlessness. So understand, you know how it says lawlessness, it's a continuation of breaking the law. It's not just a one-time law, it's a lawlessness. He who commits lawlessness, it's in other words, you are... are um, practicing sin and this kind of sin 
of committing, continuing to practice committing lawlessness. That's what he says, this sin is lawlessness. And you know, verse 5 of 1 John chapter 3, that he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. The Amplified Bible puts it this way, deliberately, knowingly, habitually practices sin. So what I'm saying is this, that when it comes to this battle, you are going to lose a skirmish or two. But don't lose the war to your flesh. It means, okay, you may, you may have won for this moment, but I'm gonna, I know where this button is, and I know where the word of God is, and I'm going to seek after God, and I'm going to have victory over this. So this sin that you are ceasing from is you're ceasing from the practiced sin in your life. And so he makes this statement again in verse 6 of, of 1 John chapter 3. Whoever abides in him does not sin, does not continue to practice sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin or does not continually practice sin for his seed, the seed of Christ, the seed of God remains in him. That's the Holy Spirit. And he cannot sin because he's been born of God. So you can't continue to practice sin without having it affect you and weigh heavy on you because you have been born of God and the Spirit is in you. Verse 10, in this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So if you're not practicing righteousness, but you're practicing sin, he says you're not of God. And I'll tell you that it's, it's important to realize that we do sin. We sin and, and understand that, that one of the things that, that we do is, I know I sin, but I don't take pleasure in that sin. Why? Because that sin is what, what drove my Jesus to go to the cross to suffer the things he suffered so that I could come in a right relationship. Every sin that I did, Jesus went to the cross for that sin. I don't want to continue in that sin, something that, that reminds me of why he had to go to the cross. Think about that. If there's, if there's something that you know causes pain, causes something that is like, just, just get rid of it. It's amazing that, you know, uh, uh, a couple of years ago, a few years ago, I was in an operation, tall grass. And as I was in that operation, I lost a couple of digits. And, and so through that operation, tall grass, that's what well, I tell people I was in the military and I lost the digits on operation tall grass. It works for me. So as I was in this operation tall grass, you can call it mowing the lawn, lost a couple of digits. And they asked me this question. Did you throw the mower away? Did you throw it away? I don't know how many people, did you throw that mower away? Like, why? Why? I mean, granted, I think it was this, at the end of the year or the beginning, it, it the, the, the handle jammed. You know how when you pull the handle, it sometimes catches? Well, I pulled this thing so hard that when it caught, I ripped the entire motor off the fuselage. So I got back at it, but I didn't throw it away. But they all expected me, did you throw it away? Did you throw it away? Because it reminded me of what I did. And it didn't remind me of what it was. 
my stupid head reminded me it was me. It wasn't the mower. I, the mower was just doing what it was supposed to do. It was spinning around. And then so keep in mind that when something does, you, you want to get rid of it. When our, when our kids were really, really little, our, our youngest daughter lost a finger in, in a little motor, it was one of those exercise bikes. We got rid of it. And we didn't want to be reminded of it. And we, we literally, we got rid of it. It was just a bike, got rid of it, didn't want it anymore. You understand that when something reminds you of something that's horrible, people think, why, why do you get rid of it? So if your sin reminds you that this sin is what drove Jesus to, why don't I just get rid of it? You understand? It's that right mindset. And I think what happens is like, like Galatians 2.20 says what? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what we do. This is where I'm at. I want to share with you a passage in Romans chapter 6 as we begin to wrap things up. Because in, in, in Romans chapter 6, he does this beautiful issue of, of talking about being freed from sin. What I want to do is this. I want to start in Romans 6. And I want to read verse 17 and 18 first, and I want to back up to, to verse 1. But in Romans chapter 6, beginning verse 17 and 18, he, he makes a statement. Let me declare it to you. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Do you understand what Paul is saying? You go, well, absolutely I understand. This spirit is speaking heavy on my heart. I'm going to receive this word by faith. This word is living. This word is powerful. God be thanked that though I used to be a slave of sin, I obeyed from the heart. My heart was determined to crucify this part of my flesh. I obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, the word that God declared to that thing that says, this is the word of God is what delivered me. This word is what tells me what I should be doing. I'm not worried about what not to do. Have you ever prayed, God, help me not do this. Help me not do this. Help me not do this. Well, every time you say, help me not do this, you're thinking about doing that. Why do you not say, rather, God, help me not do this? Say, God, draw me to you. Draw me to you. And whatever he wants to do to draw you, not that becomes that new form in your mind. When you say, God, don't let me do this, then you're like, oh, but I like it. But I can't do it. And my flesh wants it. My flesh will be happy just for a moment. But my spirit is going to be miserable. My spirit is going to be ashamed. What am I doing? And I think it's important to say, God, just don't, don't take me from this. Deliver me from this. Say, God, make your prayer. God, draw me to you. Whatever you need to do to draw me to you, just draw me to you. Let my mind be in the positive, not in the negative. And so we look to this, and this is why he says, Romans 6, verse 17 and 18, having been set free from sin, you became, or, but God be thanked, though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. In other words, Jesus, I am your bondservant. I love my master. I don't want to be on my own. I want to be his, and I become this slave. And you're like, oh, my goodness. Who wouldn't want to be a bondservant of righteousness? Your spirit is saying, hallelujah, let it be me. 
And, and, and what happens, and I love it, having been set free from sin, you're now rejoicing in your spirit. Your flesh is sitting in a corner whining. Eh, you're not treating me very well. No, I'm crucifying you. That's the battle. I want you dead. Not just in a corner whining. I want you dead. And I want my spirit to be rejoicing. Hey, I'm alive. I'm living. That's what begins to happen. Now, how does it go about? Well, in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? What shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. We don't sin that we go, oh, this is grace. He says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Sin is now dead in you. Don't live in it. Or do you not know that as many of us who were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into his death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we should be walking in the newness of life. What he's saying is this. When I was baptized and I went underwater, I said, I died with Christ. When I came out of the water, I'm saying I was raised with Christ and I can now, as I've been raised with Christ, I've been raised with a new power, a resurrection power in this newness of life. And I should walk in this newness of life. I can walk in this resurrection power. Verse five, for we have been united, for if we have been united in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So if we're united together in his death, we're going to be united in his resurrection, sitting at the right hand of God in the glory, knowing this, verse 6, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. He who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. And then he says this. For the death, verse 10, that he died, he died to sin. You get what he did? He died to sin. He took care of sin. He said, this death of mine, sin is with me, and I'm taking sin down. In other words, it would be like a drowning man. And, and all of a sudden, a drowning man, where if, if he has like a lion attack him, the lion attacks him, and he's in the water, and he says, listen, I'm going down, I'm going to drown, but I'm taking you lion with me. And he brings the lion under the water, the lion's dead. Sin was on the cross with Jesus. He says, I'm dying, and sin, you're dying with me. You no longer have a power over my children. And so we see this, and I think it's so important to recognize it, that he says here in verse 9, knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead, um, Well, back at the verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. This was verse 10. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Sin is death. The spirit now lives. Therefore, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign. In other words, practice itself in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't give into your flesh 
to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and members as instruments of the righteousness of God. For sin, verse 14, shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. We are free from sin. And if you do sin, what happens? Well, we read that passage in 1 John 1, 9. If anyone, you know, sin, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This is what we have. We have the word of God that is living and powerful. We have you know, the, the, the faith that is given to us that we can apply it. And I want to read to you one last passage. And yes, it's only one last passage. That in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, you're saying, finally, one last passage. But this is huge. I want to read verse 27 first, and then I want to bring it to you in context, verses 24 through 28. But in Ezekiel 36, beginning verse 27, I'm going to just read it. I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. You have to understand that it's not just us going to the word. It's not us believing the word. It's not, we have within us, everyone who's accepted Christ as your savior, we now have the spirit of God as a surety, a guarantee in our hearts. And he says, this here spirit is a guarantee. I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk. So now back it up in the context, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24, he makes a statement for, I will take you from among the nations. I will gather you out of all the countries and I will bring you into your own land. And I, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. In other words, just call it sin. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will take the heart of stone that didn't listen to God, that didn't want righteousness. I will take the stone out of your, the heart of stone out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh, a soft heart that can receive. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. This is the heart of what he wants. So when Peter is trying to clue us in here in chapter four, verse one, where he says, therefore, because in chapter 318, Jesus put, was put to death in the flesh. Since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, in other words, 318, since he was put to death in the flesh, Arm yourselves, make this your, arm yourselves with these, prepare to battle with these with the same mind. For he who is suffered in the flesh, in other words, he who puts his flesh to death, no longer walks and practice sin. You cease. And I'll tell you what, any Christian who receives this tonight, Today and, and if you hear this message through the internet, if you receive this, this promise is yours. If you are tired of having sin, have dominion over your life, just read this and believe it. 
Come back to this message and, and anchor it in. Let this anchor into your very heart, your soul that says, I know what I need to do. I got to prepare to battle every single day, every moment of the day. I got to prepare. There is a battle and I got to fight it with determination. I've got to really say, God, I want the victory. Not, Lord, you do the victory. Let me sit back and relax. But the result is going to be joy. The flesh died. We're going to be like a lot of munchkins. Ding dong, the witch is dead. We're, we're going to be so excited about the, the flesh being dead. Maybe we should make a worship. Ding dong, the flesh is dead. The flesh is dead. You know, I don't know. It's something that would be great. Put it to death. I don't know where that came from. And then press on. Then press on. Press on. Just, just say, you know what? I haven't yet apprehended. I haven't yet made it, but I am going to press on every single day that the spirit would grow and the spirit would become strong and my flesh would die. Amen? Amen. <sighs> Amen. <laughs> Father, you are good. You are just good. And we're so thankful for this passage and that you would take this morning to open up its truth to us that you would reveal to us your heart through this. We worship you. We're so thankful that you, through your word, have told us there is a battle, but you, through your word, have also said that you've already won the battle. The sin that, that, that we're, we're, we're trying to battle, you said you already put it to death. It's dead sin that we're battling. It has no power other than what we allow it to have over our life. We have resurrection power. And we have your word and we have your faith that you've given to us. So strengthen us, Lord. Strengthen us that we may walk as slaves of righteousness, as we may walk as children of God. Father, if we have practiced sin, forgive us. Forgive us, forgive us. We want to repent. We want to turn right now, confess those sins to you so that we can now walk in this newness of life that you've given to us. Draw us to that power. Draw us to that end. We ask in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, amen. amen.